a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Thank you for joining the Say the Damn Score podcast. Logan Anderson here with Dave Johnson. He is the voice of the Washington Wizards and the D.C. United fills in for the Nationals. Does a lot of other stuff on on his plate as well. And Dave, first of all, thanks for joining us here for the podcast. And how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Anytime you're around a winning team, it seems like life is... Is much better, and the Wizards right now are, are very much a, a winning team, and, and uh, so life is good. How much does that matter to you as a broadcaster? How good the team is? Well, I, I think it, it does make it easier. It doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's never changed my uh, affection or love for for what I'm doing and, and being a part of it because it's, it, you know, it's truly special. Sports, I, I think, is is just great theater anyway, and and. Uh, uh, you know, even in bad seasons, when you lose more than you win, you're going to win some, and, and you're not going to know how the script is going to play out on any, any given night. So you're, you're part of a, a very special atmosphere. Uh, we're winning ads is, is just, uh, you know, they, as you're around a team during the course of a season, you spend a lot of time with them. And, and um, when people are having success in anything they do, a, a team is no different than any workplace. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's uh, suddenly smiling more, and the coffee tastes better, and and it uh, it does add to to just the overall experience. But but win or lose, uh, I don't think um, uh, it it changes our, our our love for what we do as broadcasters, our our love for the game as as well. Uh, what what does happen when it's winning? It just it just makes that the, the experience that much sweeter. You know, this isn't where I wanted to go right away, but. You, over your time there, you've covered some teams that weren't particularly good for Washington. How do you keep those games interesting and keep your listeners active when the games aren't very good? Well, I think, again, it gets down to um, the, the individual game is, is what's important at that moment. Uh, you can't look at things... You know, globally, okay. You know, we're, we're we're 15 and whatever, and we haven't won in two weeks, and and so we're not going to win tonight. And and but that's not the case, and that's not the way uh, the way sports works. Uh, you know, with with teams, um, they're not as successful in the win and loss column. You, you know, you're focusing on on more nuances of, of storylines and and the, the development of players, and 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 what you know, if you're speaking to a an audience that's predominantly a fan of, of the team that you're broadcasting, that, that maybe you're starting to, you know, give them reasons. I don't mean false hope, but but give them reasons for, you know, why why there's something positive going on here and and, and the development of a certain player. So, you know, it, it goes a it goes to different layers. You you start to appreciate, you know, more individual plays and and individual players sometimes because the, the team as a collective is is, is not having that success. So. Um, you know, in a situation right now with the uh, with the Wizards winning, you know, it's very much a, a team success. So there's a number of positive storylines. You know, when the team was not doing so well, and this is actually a, a team that started this season two and nine. Uh, you know, you're you're, you're trying to, to to you know basically dissect why this team is supposed to be doing better is not, and 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 why you know fans should be concerned, but also. You know, it's young in the season, so why why should they be encouraged? And what can still happen and, and play out? So uh, it, it's just about developing developing storylines, and that's you know that's what you know we do as broadcasters. It, it, it is a connection uh, with the fans to try to take them inside the locker room and, and what goes on with teams, because uh, you know that's the beauty of sports. It, it, it's it's you know there's the stark reality of the the, the results, but um, you know, it, it's such a, a day-to-day process within these teams um, where, while well, fans may be, oh, I, you know, I, I can't take another loss and whatever, teams don't have that option. They have to play through. And so, uh, you know, then you want to 
to explain and, and connect with the fans of of how teams are playing through and, and what what they're you know what quest they're on. I mean, and that's you know uh, certainly something the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers broadcasters are, are going through with now this this phrase of trust the process, which didn't seem to be ringing true. Uh, now all of a sudden is ringing true, and you see a, a, a young team develop. So, you know, when we had with the Wizards uh, some tough times here, um, you know, when you had players like John Wall in the early days, when they the Wizards as a team were not winning, but you, you knew there were emerging stars in John Wall and Bradley Peel. And, and if you're along for the whole journey as broadcasters or fans, well, that makes that makes you know whatever success they have. Uh, that much, that much sweeter. Uh, I mean, that feeling in 2014, when the Wizards made the playoffs for the first time in in, uh, in uh, uh, six years, uh, I think fans had stayed through it, and obviously we had stayed through it. You know, suddenly, uh, man, that's such a feeling because you know, you know the what it took to get to that point. So, what was your first break into the industry? Just because I find the paths that people take to their eventual, I don't want to say final destination, but to the destination that they're at on their journey at that time, fascinating. What was your first break into the business, and how did you get started in broadcasting? Well, it was always a, uh, um, it was my dream to be a, to be a sports broadcaster. Um, and, and so, you know, I approached that going into a college in Baltimore, Wisconsin State, um, that all right, I'm going to go to Towson State, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work to to become a professional broadcaster, and, and I'm going to find out what it takes to 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 follow those steps. And and uh, uh, you know, I just had a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and you know, I'll do anything, and just let, let me know what you need done, and I'll do it. And and so even even before I I was actually a freshman, I was uh, volunteering at the, the, the campus. Uh, radio station and, and going back and forth. I was actually working at the beach that summer and driving two hours back and forth. Um, so I, I mean, it was a commitment on my part in terms of, you know, I was leaving some nice beach parties and some, some good looking girls to go play radio. Uh, and then a job opening came up at a station in Baltimore that played hit parade music like Frank Sinatra and, and Terry Como. And um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to put, I, I worked, for a few months, uh, and I thought, well, let me, let me try. Let me just put together a demo tape. I actually got an interview, and I remember at one point, you know, the interview wasn't going well where the program director said, you haven't been on the air before, and, and I, I said, well, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with this, whatever, and I, I was hired uh, to do weekends and, and fill in, and that was my first professional job, and um, and then it gets, you know, <laughs> we get spent the next three hours, but the point I always tell people uh, the, my goal was to be sports broadcaster, but it's not necessarily, you have to embrace, uh, broadcasters have to, I believe, embrace any, um, any possibilities because you don't know where that's going to lead. Um, at the station that I worked at doing hit parade music, there was a guy there that worked at the same time that later became, uh, a program director in Annapolis. And, and he actually hired me full time for my first sports job. Uh, four years later, uh, but I mean, at the time when I'm, I'm working midnight to 5 a.m. playing Perry Como and, and Nat King Cole records, I don't, I don't see that one day that's going to help me get a foot in the door. So that's that's the point I, I make about embracing things. You know, and you know, it's it's not as simple as just who you know. You also have to, um, you know, work for it. I mean, I I, I was lucky enough to hook up with a guy who was. Um, uh, a, a sportscaster in Baltimore who produced a, uh, who did a uh, weekly football show. And uh, I got a, uh, 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 for lack of a better term, an internship, although I wasn't technically getting credit, but I just worked for him for free. And I did that for five or six years. And, and, and I made, while I was discharging radio stations, going from hit parade to country music to rock and roll, uh, I was getting paid to, to do those jobs, but I was not, getting paid to do sports, but, that, but I wanted to stay in that arena, or at least I shouldn't should stay in that arena, be a part of that arena. So that helped me, you know, form a, a base and, and make some contacts and, and, and start me on a path that eventually led me to sports. So just give us the Cliff Notes version of the other stops on your way to 
WTOP as the sports anchor and the voice of the Wizards and the D.C. United and where you're at now? Well, the clip of virtually all through college, I, I worked at um, I worked at that hit parade station. I then I went to Annapolis, Maryland, and, and worked as a disc jockey. Again, I was still in college. I then I got hired at a rock and roll station to work work uh, overnights, and then I got hired at a country music station to do um, uh, disc jockey. And then I was also that station at the USFL broadcast. So. And at that point, I was I was actually getting paid to do stats and help produce those games, and I was doing that with uh, the guy that became my mentor in the business. The guy I described that I was working for free for a guy named Bob Bartell. Um and then I, I uh, went from there back to Annapolis, where I, I got a sports position doing Navy sports and, and morning sports at a, a station in Annapolis. And, Stayed there for three years, and opening came up at WTOP in, in Washington in 1989, late 89, and um, I got that job, and that that you know put me in now the Washington circuit, for lack of a better description. Um, I, I had the opportunity to fill in on some some uh, some bullets uh, games, uh, and and uh, um, and during that time, you know, I was also then you you start to meet more people, do more things. Um, and so that led into doing some television in, in Washington at a thing called at a network called Home Team Sports. Um, I started doing some soccer, uh, which was always a passion, and love of my is a passion, and love of mine. And and, uh, um, and then Major League Soccer started, and I'd already done about four or five years of television soccer, so that put me in a good position to to start with DC United from the beginning in 1996. And in 1997, the Wizards job uh, came open. And I'd already done bullets for several years, filling in. Uh, so again, I, I was positioned, you know, to to uh, to to get into an even better position as full time. But you know, again, it's it's uh, it's a long journey, and it's not a direct route um, as as I describe it. And, and along the way, you don't know where it's going to lead. If it's going to lead anywhere, as I'm filling in for those bullets games, I'm having a, a terrific time. But you know, I, I have no. Um, expectation that you know eventually that's going to become so much a part of my life which it certainly has you said that you did navy sports did you ever do the army navy game yes i did uh the army navy uh, now in football i did the the pre-game and post-game around it and i did other army navy games basketball across um i guess just basketball across the only other sports i did army navy but any kind of Army Navy competition is amazing, but I was at for four years, I guess. I did. I was I was part of Army Navy broadcast, and and it's probably you know the best sporting event in this country um, on a lot of levels. Uh, but it's certainly it's a bucket list for um, a sports fan. It just it's just a it doesn't matter the records of teams that are having the games or. You know, I'm sure there's exceptions. I don't have a list in front of me of the scores, but they always are are tight and close. And and uh, but just the the feeling you get in the stadium and and the respect that the the two sides have for each other and and the emotion. Uh, you know, as the teams and the uh, core cadets, the brave brigade midshipmen coming to the stadium and and then after the game and they're they're saluting each other. It it, it it's an emotional day. So I ask that because a lot of people have said, and I've listened to when they talked about what a bucket list place that is, as you said, but broadcasting that, do you feel extra energy in your call being at a game in a situation like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a playoff type atmosphere. Um, and when I say playoffs, I'm sorry, I use that as a cliche, but it's just there is something extra in the air, and and that's the, um, and in, in many ways it is a, a playoff game because it's a you know it, while it's not the championship, it is for those participants. It, it you know from the day one that that people come to the United States Military Academy or the United States Naval Academy, it's it's. You know, while they're they're brothers and sisters in arms, uh, uh, they're arch rivals. To you know, it's it's beat army, beat navy, and that's the, you know, it's just supposed to. It comes out of your mouth, uh, and it's just part of your your vocabulary. So I think that's why it creates 
that kind of atmosphere. So no matter what you're doing on that day, you you um, you sense the the, the, the special feeling. Um, and what adds to it is 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 I describe arch rivals, but it's not bitterness. It's 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 laced with so much respect between the uh, the two fan bases and and uh, and the schools. So you have this interesting uh, dynamic where you have uh, they want to do anything they can to beat the other side, but also do anything they can for the other side. I want to move on now, and one of the reasons that I targeted you as a guest on this podcast is because of the way that you have been doing uh, your Washington Wizards broadcasts. You call it the radio party, and I've done some reading and have a little bit of an understanding of what it is and have listened to it once, but I just want you to explain in your own words, what is the radio party? Well, it's it's using Twitter, uh, which is you know, obviously an instantaneous, uh, you know, way to connect with people um, socially and uh, while we broadcast. So uh, the broadcast is first, and and we, we don't use it as a uh, way to to uh, to detract from the broadcast, but hopefully enhance and enhance the sense of uh, sense of community. Uh, and, and and I think that's one of the things that. The radio does better than uh, than anything is is that um, you, there's such an intimacy about radio, and I think this only this is using social media to add to that intimacy of radio, and that that again was, was the magic of of radio. I, I think is the fact that that it's it's the oldest of, of mediums, but yet it, it adapts so well to to the newest technology, and and uh, um, whether it's you know, <laughs> We even starting to do some Facebook Live things in the middle of our broadcast and and, and that type of thing. So um, it, it was something early on that you know about ten years ago when blogs were uh, not that they've gone away they're still out there but we we, we actually started um, connecting with people because there really wasn't a Twitter option uh, as we as we would blog along and we would answer people's questions. They log in and listen and, and go back and forth. And then there was that, that kind of you know, dialogue sometimes between the people that were on the, the blog site. The Twitter, you know, obviously just became more, uh, you know, the, the, the timing of, uh, of the, the form of communication, social media of choice. Uh, and, and it was a 2013-2014 season. We, we just started throwing our Twitter handles out there and, you said, hey, you know, you, you want to connect with us and you give us some of your thoughts. Well, and and it's one of those things that you throw it out there. You don't know if it's going to be like a, a tree falls and nobody hears it. <laughs> does it does it count? So uh, it was something that I didn't really I didn't know what to expect. But instead, we all of a sudden, bam, 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 people started uh, connecting and they started connecting with each other. And and uh, and then you would you would look down at your Twitter feed and see. Uh, not only were you know you uh, as a broadcaster kind of the ringmaster of the conversation, but then people were talking amongst themselves, became friends among themselves. Uh, you know, they said, "Well, I met so and so on Twitter. We came to a game together." Uh, and so, by the end of that that 2013-14 season, and it was a confluence events. We were also having a good season that year, so that helped amp up, I think, the the social chatter. Um, and and somebody said, you know, this is like a party. And and the next thing you know, the, the hashtag radio party came about. But that was, you know, to me, what I, I think is a, is a great thing is I didn't coin that phrase and or that hashtag. And the nearest we can figure, there was a, a Twitter follower called Nat's Natitude that first started just said, hey, this is like a party and started using the hashtag radio party. And we just picked up on it. So, uh, you know, that's what's been fun about it is it's not like we, we sat in a conference room and over strategize about it we just said well let's you know let's throw it out there and see if anybody listens or responds and they have and it's been fun so you're making it very very interactive for your listeners you shout them out on the air and um just kind of talk about who's listening and what's going on how much does that interactivity create a more loyal listener oh it's it's um you know <laughs> I always uh, get the biggest charge. You, 
you start to have people that, uh, that, you know, I see the tweets, I'm sorry, I'm late. <laughs> you know, what can they, they have to apologize for not showing up on the, on the broadcast on time. And it, it really does, um, you know, when they've been away for a while, sorry, you know, I, I, I haven't checked it. So I think there is that, that connection and that's why, and then we see it at the games where people come up to us, uh, more because I think they feel they know us more uh, the, because we're reaching out to them and they're you know we're joking about things or, or uh, we're having conversations on things and and through Twitter. Um, so I, I think it just it it, it becomes a fabric uh, of their fan experience and as much as ours. And I said it's almost like the. Uh, uh, the, the famous television show Cheers, where everybody knows your, you know, knows your name. It's like it's like being a bartender. If uh, if somebody doesn't show up for a couple of days, I start to worry about them. Does having, I guess, how many people consistently take advantage of this interactivity that you've developed? Is it is it a number that you can say, or does that vary so wildly from game to game that you can't really it, answer it, that? It varies. I mean, it's funny, you know, no surprise. Uh, I've noticed like the last few games, you know, the activity's been picking up even more and, you know, lo and behold, we're winning. And that, that's, uh, um, there's some, and I don't have the figures in front of me, but, you know, there's some stats from last year that about the number of impressions and the reach and, and that type of thing. And there's all those social media metrics. But, uh, you know, on a consistent basis on a night, you know, we'll probably hear from 100, Twitter followers, but I mean, it changes from night to night and people don't always, you know, some people are more interactive than others. Some people check in and say, Hey, and that's it. Others will be sending you, you know, photos and, and jokes and, and whatever. So it, it, it uh, you know, it, it varies, but uh, you know, I think it's, um, you know, we've uh, certainly the, the social media people tell me, you know, we're, we're, we're hitting a home run with it. And, um, and, but just knowing the number of, of people that I've reached out to and the number of people that, 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 that stop by, I just know from the experience that it's the old joke about, you know, the people that call in the sports radio stations, you know, you hear regulars and there's, look, there's only a, a, um, in, in a sports call in environment, for example, there's only a certain number of people that are going to actually call, uh, people listen uh, to, to, uh, to a call in, but you may never be motivated to call yourself. Uh, but you know, I, I think we actually have a higher rate than let's say the, the call in thing, because people can still remain anonymous. It's, you know, there's no, there's no fear about typing, you know, less than 140 characters or whatever the hell it is. And, and whereas, you know, people might be a little bit timid about getting on, on the on a radio call in type thing. So, um, I, I just think it's, 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 it's important. Um, you know, the social media is, 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 is a part of our landscape. And, and we also noticed that, um, you know, the people that it, it skews younger, it skews, you know, heavy female. And those are things, you know, you might not think traditionally of, of listening to a radio broadcast. So when, you know, we have college kids come up to us or whatever, it's, you, you know, you realize you're speaking their language. How do you weave kind of these stories and everything that you do into your broadcast without sacrificing the quality of the broadcast? You know, I think it's, it's about timing. I mean, there is a, uh, um, you know, I, I'm not talking about a Twitter followers a game is going on or, or um, it's, you know, it, it's, it makes it a busier night for me mentally. I don't, I don't say that as a complaint, but I'm, uh, you know, the, but I think that's also part of the world we live in where, you know, everybody's just multitasking now. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's not just, you're not just doing one of anything anymore. It seems, um, so I think it's, you know, I, I try to make it, you know, feel like, you know, you're in the, you're in the bar with a bunch of friends. Uh, and, and so you'll be basically focused on the game, but you know, there's going to be moments where, you know, a free throw or whatever. And, and you can, um, you can, you can throw in some color and personality and funny lines. And I think that, uh, 
uh, it's just about a texture and a touch, and you hope you get it right. Anyone who's been around Twitter for more than five minutes knows that it's awesome, but there's a uh, a dark and unpleasant side of Twitter where people will tell you things that they would never tell you to your face. Has that ever been an issue with what you do? You know, it really hasn't. I mean, um, and that's the other thing. There's been a, and maybe that's the uh, part of the intimacy. There, while well, we're not face to face, there's uh there's a there's a connectivity and and um you know i think people uh, are hesitant to to go on the the dark side not that there's a reason to go on the dark side but but in other words if you were for whatever reason wanting to to tweet some hatred or or, or something negative uh, you know, if you're just tweeting at somebody uh, like you see on social media and they're just tweeting back, it's, it's still so much be- behind a closed door. But when you're tweeting at me uh, or tweeting to me or <laughs> well, the proper thing is um, you, you, you're, I'm, I'm on the air as well. So I've got to, uh, so I'm, you know, if you're going to say something foolish, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Uh, so I think, if, if there's somebody out there that's saying that, you know, Dave Johnson's an idiot and whatever, they might be hesitant to tweet that because, uh, you know, I, I can call them out or, 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 or whatever. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think over the years we've had nothing too bad. We've had some, some, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I can't even think of a Twitter handler, but I know for a while there was, uh, you know, there was a guy that, that just, you know, no matter if, if the sky was blue, he said it was black and, and just, he clearly was contrarian and, uh, and, but it was never, uh, you know, really, really dark. He was just more, you know, <laughs> stupid, I guess is, is the way, uh, the way I put it. So, uh, I think we've got it. We're, we're a friendly form of social media. Do you know of anybody else who is kind of taking the same um, pattern and trying to replicate the social media interactiveness with what you do? Or do you think that people will over time? You know, I, 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 um, I don't know if anybody's doing it to the extent we're doing it. I am seeing it, though, where, for example, our, our very own uh, a Wizards television broadcast, uh, they start now to, but they do it a little bit differently. It's not so much the announcers, they'll, they'll put up the actual tyrons of, uh, you know, the screenshots of tweets, or because that's obviously television, you can do that. Um, but they started doing that after us. And, and, and I know for a fact that they were listening and said, wow, that's kind of cool. So, you know, did we start the fire? I'm not sure if we were the first. I know that uh, you know I've been to NBA broadcast meetings and and um, I know the Boston broadcaster Sean Grandy has talked about um, incorporating tweets in his broadcast, but but I, I don't know if anybody's doing it uh, to the extent that that we're uh, that we're doing it or, or trying to make it as, as much of a community as we are. And I'm not saying there's not another broadcast out there. I'm just saying. Uh, that, that I'm not aware of of, of anyone that uh, is that um, personal about it that I think we are. But you know that we we it, it's it's not coal mining. I don't want to make it sound like it's it's hard, but it's um, it, it adds a you know more work. I mean it's uh, but it, it but we enjoy it. I mean it's instantaneous feedback, and it's what we're we're about is the uh, with you know as broadcasters we're trying to connect. Uh, with our audience. And, and so, uh, you know, this gives us that instant connection. Whereas before, you know, the connection used to come in, you know, when I started this business, if you got a nice letter <laughs> sent to you, that was a connection. Um, you know, now, now you're, you're hearing it right away. Uh, so or seeing it right away. And, and uh, so it, it makes it fun. And it, you know, so I deal with season ticket holders. We have a number of season ticket holders, obviously that are, that are, that are rapid, uh, Wizards fans, and they've you know follow on the radio, and they've decided to follow on Twitter, and they go to these season ticket events, and they 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 enjoy it. It adds an element of uh, the relationship with the team. 
I go to the National Sports Media Association Hall of Fame event every year, and last year they had a guy who put on a seminar, and it was about some technology that he thought would eventually lead to people being able to take calls and have interactiveness via cell phone, basically, um, with fans during the broadcast. Have you ever thought about advancing it uh, to that next step, or do you think that that's... um, What's the right word? Doable and sustainable, and that that could catch on. Uh, you know, I, I, I without and that's something I've not heard about. I mean, obviously, uh, you know how that would work differently than a standard phone call. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I've said what we're doing with this, with the interaction of tweets, and in, in, in some ways, it's combining sports talk radio with play-by-play. In other words, because of the, the, the flow of a game, you know, you don't see the uh, ability to you know, all of a sudden take two phone calls while somebody's shooting a free throw, but you can read out six tweets and get comments from different people. Um, and, and that's part of weaving in the broadcast. Somebody on Twitter will bring up a comment about, uh, you know, Marky Morris is doing a good job defending smaller guards, and I'll bring that up and, you know, Hardeep said that last night, and that's the name of the Twitter follower, and I'll, I'll lead Glenn Consor in to talk about that. So, you know, it's nice when we can, in other words, we include points that, that listeners slash tweeters make, and, and then, uh, you know, that, that leads me basically into a question to my uh, color commentator. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to, uh, probably I would have had to go to the seminar to understand in the conventional way, it's hard for me to envision how that works, but um, I, I, I think it's uh, it, it what makes it, you know radio a special uh, and such an adaptable medium. It's it's important to be open to to all all things because um, uh, you know as, as we kid about people as we're talking, I'm talking on cell phone. People are now listening more and more on the cell phone. They're using the cell phone as a transistor radio. So there's so many places in 2017 that the radio can go that television still can't. Uh, yeah, you can watch TV on your cell phone, but it's um, just radio. The mobility and ability to multitask with radio is, is such a strength, and, and, uh, and, and that's what we encourage and makes it a lot of fun. Well, I personally think it's a really good idea, and I really like what you're doing. But we're going to move on from that and get into some other stuff now. Um one of the things that I've always found interesting is when teams change names, depending on whether you're for or against it, you really can't say. But when the Wizards changed from the Bullets to the Wizards, I believe that was right as you were starting. You mentioned you did fill-in when they were the Bullets. Was that a difficult adjustment? Did you ever catch yourself saying Bullets when you should be saying Wizards? And was that a popular thing with the fan base? I don't think I ever caught myself saying bullets instead of wizards because it's funny. I've, I've caught myself, uh, you know, in situations where, uh, you know, I called it, I don't know, the Bobcats, the Hornets, or, you know, <laughs> or the Pelicans, the Hornets, or, or, you know, because of the, those kind of name changes. But they're also teams you're not living day to day with. It never really, you know, happened with the Wizards. Uh, the, the, you know, there's been a, you know, a, a, a Certainly, a portion of the fan base says, "Well, let's go back to the bullets," and I uh, miss the bullets, and and uh, uh, and we still celebrate. I mean, I was part of what was last time was a throw uh, last time meeting Tuesday when we played the Celtics it was a throwback night with back bullets players. So bullets is a part of the Wizards franchise history, but I think it's also important that you know hindsight is is twenty um, twenty, or sometimes your memories of things are, are, are clouded over time, but. At the time, the switch was very popular. Um, Washington, and, and what precipitated the switch, the team owner, Abe Poland, um, it was a close friend of his, the Prime Minister of Israel, was, was assassinated. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just that one singular event, but uh, Washington at the time in the early 90s was the murder capital of the world. And, and so then the Bullets' team name, was becoming a joke on, on you know, Jay Leno or whoever was a nighttime guy. So, well, no wonder the 
NBA team in Washington. It's called the Bullets, the mother capital of the world. So it was, uh, you know, now we're not. Uh, it, I guess it's a, it's a different environment. Washington's no longer, fortunately, the murder capital of the world, the United States. Um, so it's a different time, and people have, you know, people say, "Wow, why not bullets now?" And uh, it's just it's just a different time. But at the time, um, there was a sense that you know, yeah, bullets are not really a great name in, a, in such a violent city, even though the you know, obviously the the, the point of bullets was it, it started with the team started. Uh, the name started in Baltimore. So there's a little alliteration there with Baltimore bullets, the two B's and, and it's obviously, you know, you shoot in basketball. So it was that that's where obviously bullets came from as a, as a derivation of a nickname. But at the time it was very popular, the, the change, there was some excitement about a new name and, uh, and it was, it coincided with not only, uh, it coincided with a change of arena from the, the old Capitol Center to a brand new uh, uh, MCI Center at the time it was called in downtown Washington. Coincidentally, the Wizards had just made the playoffs uh, that year, so there was a there was just a positive vibe about it. Um, you know, yeah. Since then, some people have you know reminisced because the team did win a title under the the name Bullets, and and uh, so that does pop up. You know. It, I'd say within the last ten years, but say, oh, you know, we really did like the bullets. But, but at the time, there was a lot of reasons why it changed, and there was there was a definite a real motion behind the change. So you explained how a big part of getting into the Washington D.C. radio circuit, so to speak, was that you were able to broadcast soccer, and I just. Um, I'm always impressed with the people who are able to broadcast soccer because it looks like it would be quite difficult. What are some of the keys to being good at broadcasting soccer, both on TV and the radio? Well, I think, um, you know, radio is, is more descriptive in, in general. Uh, you know, so you're, 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 no matter what sport you're doing on radio, you're trying your best to, um, you know, paint the, paint the picture whereas television uh it's 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 understanding that for lack of a better way of saying it, the pace and flow of a game and that can change in soccer some are high paced games some are slow there's a there's a lot of nuance in, in, in involved in soccer because it's not as you know baseball is defined like right, this team is pitching this team's hitting football this team has the ball that team has the ball um whereas soccer and also hockey as well you know, and even basketball. I mean, I, I know there's steals and turnovers, but you know, you know what I'm saying. There's there's sequences where uh, that team takes a shot and they either make it or and then the other team gets rebound. So it's it's compartmentalized a little bit differently. Whereas soccer and hockey are two sports where there's a flow and it's it, but it changes. So it's it's so it's, you've got to have kind of a read on the game and the way it, the way it's going. So. There's there's more of a I don't know nuance is the word but it's 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 more of a trying to get in touch with what's going on because no two games are all the same uh, and, and um, things can change you know all of a sudden the game does a 180 it looks like nothing's going to happen and and this happens in hockey too you know, you think I know something no big deal and you know there's a hot damn rush and somebody scores you know same thing in soccer it looks like well wait a minute, there's nothing and then the next thing they've got a breakaway and it changes things. So, yeah, it's it's you go into uh, I go into a soccer match, you know, uh, knowing that it's it's it, you kind of have to immerse yourself in it and get a feel for what's going on out there. Expanding on that, how do you fill that time in? Let's just say a zero zero game, nil nil, and it's mostly in the middle of the field. It's just kind of getting passed around. Not a lot of attacking or shots how do you make that interesting i understand why it's interesting if you can watch it but how do you make it interesting on radio well because they're, they're you know and like any game there's there's uh or like any sport rather it could be boring moments or whatever but even if there's um you know both teams have a point uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if, if things are getting bogged down in the midfield or trying to construct through the midfield. And, 
Uh, you know, soccer is about like a lot of games. There's games within games and matchups. I mean, in hockey, you have this where you know, you know, part of the game within the game is is is, is coaches always trying to match certain lines. Excuse me, against other lines of the you other know, teams. So, it, and it's you know, matchups on the fly. It's a it's a similar thing in soccer. You have now you know, certainly our you know this defensive midfield shadowing that forward. So it's it's drawing people into the strategy and, and the feel of what's going on. So it's you know if 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 it's if it's not explained, somebody might say, well, I, I don't get it. It, it. it seems like they're just kicking it three times, but there's more than that. And and I'm an English, you know, um, there's there's some strategy and skill that's going on even when. Uh, it's not a shot on goal. And as a member of the English soccer group said, you know what, in this country, in talking about America, he says, you know, they cheer when a quarterback passes the ball 10 yards and the guy catches it. Um, he didn't do anything. I mean, he did something. He caught the ball, but he didn't score. Uh, but there was still some skill, and there was still, uh, you know, something's going on here on this scoring drive. And that, and that's the same in, in, in soccer, that, that, uh, okay, there's that overlapping run on the right side of the midfield, and uh, or maybe it's the, the what the defense did to negate that. There's something going on to that drive, so it's not just it, it's they're not just kicking in the backfield. You have broadcast games at the World Cup in Germany. That is probably, I mean, as big of a sporting event as there is in the world between maybe that and the Olympics. Give us uh, some stories, both during the game, during the broadcast, and just in being involved in the atmosphere around the World Cup that uh, you wouldn't be able to know about unless you were involved in it? Well, it's it's talk about bucket list. There's, there's nothing quite like a, a World Cup because, um, and this is not to, to, to downgrade any, any sport or whatever, but obviously in, in the United States when – an NFL team wins a, a title. We say they're the world champions or, you know, uh, the world series, but it's not really a world series. And I'm not hung up on that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm like one of these, some people say, well, yeah, it's not really a world. I'm not bothered by that, but this truly is a world championship. And, and, uh, that there's a, there's a certain number of countries that just make it to this tournament, but it starts, uh, with and keep in mind, there's more members of FIFA, uh, soccer's world governing body, than the United Nations. So there's more countries involved in, in soccer than there are in the United Nations. And they all start out the goal of trying to make it, just make it to the World Cup. So that adds to the drama that now, now you've got teams, countries that have gone through uh, whatever their qualifying process uh, was, whatever through the the various portion of the world there in the European, South America, et cetera. Um, and now it's, it's for everything. Um, and, and so then you have just, uh, uh, you know, you have the support, um, uh, as you go around the country, uh, you know, I've been to a couple world cups. I cover the one in Germany and you see the, the camaraderie among the fans and, and they've traveled near and far because it's, it, it means so much, or I shouldn't say near and far, from very far in many cases, um, that that, uh, that this two-year qualifying process has ended in their country getting into the World Cup, and now they, you know, at least have a chance. Uh, and and obviously, in, in the German World Cup, they they went a long way before bowing out to to Italy in the uh, the semifinals that year. But you know, it was it was uh, it was emotional to be caught up in, in Germany uh, hosting the World Cup and, and their team doing well and the emotions uh, behind it. And I can still remember a conversation with a younger German who was, who was just crying about um, uh, you know, the, the, the emotion of the tournament and, and, and it was going well and, and uh, not only for the German team, but also just for the nation and hosting the World Cup. And she said, you know, this is the first time that as Germans, we felt like uh, it was okay to be German since World War II. Um, and I, uh, as I heard her describe that, it was a powerful thing as an American because 
you know, we live in, in a country where at a drop of a hat, we're ready to chant US, <laughs> USA, and, and it's, that's not hard. Uh, but in Germany, they, they, this turned out to be a tournament where they felt like there were, it was one more way to apologize to the world uh, and, and be a part of the world community and, 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 and so extend the arm of friendship, if you will. And, and then then they felt then it was okay to, to really express that, that uh, German pride. So there were some, some powerful emotions that, that went, um, you know, with this tournament. I remember when, when Germany eliminated Argentina and, and that was in the Olympic stadium in Berlin, which, which, uh, as I called that game is that place has its own, you know, uh, um, place in sports history from going back to the 1936 Olympics. Um, and then, you know, we couldn't get a cab back to the hotel, so we had to walk the streets of, of Berlin. And uh, every block, there was there was a collection of, uh, it seemed like mostly younger people out there waving the German flag. And um, you could tell just emotion and passion that was uh, finally being released after years of, uh, of I think, being pent up because... Um, there was, there was, and I didn't realize this until having lived through this, the World Cup that there was, even among people that were not alive for it, there was there was some shame and embarrassment about Germany's role in, the, in, in World War Two. That's really interesting. Um, I want to hear Michael Jordan stories from when you were covering him. Lift up the curtain a little bit, and I'm not telling you to put any dirt that's going to get you in trouble, but give us some fun stories that kind of. Show us what and who Michael Jordan was. Well, you know, just a first-class guy, and he, uh, uh, you know, really cared about uh, his craft. He cared about fans, um, and he cared about the people around him. Uh, I, I still remember, um, you know, he had been in a, actually a front office for a year prior to his decision that he wanted to come back for another year. And he, um, so I knew him from that, but not, not, I didn't know him that well because he was in our front office, but it was not like you'd see him on a daily basis or, um, interact with him on a daily basis. But then I, I, you know, started to interact with him more as he went through our training camp and, 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 uh, I still remember that, that, you know, that year that he was coming out of, uh, retirement to play for us was, was 2001-2002 season, and 9-11 had just happened, and so there's a lot of things going on, um, you know, in, in, in this country. In fact, um, you know, when he announced uh, that he was coming back to play uh, for another season, it was actually the, the word of that leaked out on September 10th, 2011. The next morning, I was, you know, the lead story on WTOP in Washington. Uh, in fact, I was supposed to be on vacation, and, and they said, you know, can you, because you're also the Wizards play by play guy, can you still do the mornings? And I said, no problem. And, and it's, it is a big deal. Michael Jordan is definitely coming back. And um, I remember that morning like it was yesterday that, that we were just, you know, over the moon and just so on such a, a giddiness uh, of, of uh, Michael Jordan is going to play for the Washington Wizards. And wow. And, and it's a beautiful fall day, and, and uh, boy, life doesn't get any better than this. And then um, and I was on the doing updates every you know, 15 minutes on this, and, um, and I just remember right before 9 o'clock that morning, uh, calling. I was, I was doing these reports remote, and I called in the desk, and I said, I guess you're probably not going to need me at, at nine o'clock. And he said, yeah, I don't know what's going on. We didn't know yet what was going on. Of course, the 9-11 thing happened. But that, that's just an aside. And it was uh, it, it certainly um, you know, put the Michael Jordan story to the back burner as a country we were dealing with. The giddiness was gone for a while. Uh, but then our first game that year, and of course, the NBA <laughs> conspired to do this. They put us in New York City to play the Knicks. Um, and I remember that shoot around that morning uh, and, you know, the, uh, typically for a, a shoot around, there's, there's not that many media. Well, 
Miller's just a horde like you would believe. Uh, as I, this is the shoot around before Michael Jordan's first game back after retirement. And uh, I still remember being a part of that. And uh, he looked over at me and, and he re- extended his arm and said, good to see you, my friend. And I was like a schoolgirl that didn't want to wash my hand then for <laughs> forever because I was so, you know, it was just a nice moment, uh, but also said a lot about him. He knew about the people that he dealt with around and he did, he did care about him, did respect him. And, and uh, so he was, he was, he was terrific to deal with that ultra competitive. I mean, you know, there were times when we'd have to, you know, wait to, to, you know, leave a city where we were doing a practice before the flight because he was still in a shooting match with Richard Hamilton or somebody. And, and, uh, um, you know, and, and so he was, he was competitive and, and, uh, but that, that's what made him great. He, uh, he, he didn't take a day off. He didn't take a practice off. Uh, and I think that, and even when he came back to play for us, it didn't matter that he had already achieved whatever he was into every practice. So I think that, you know, that's a guy that just, that just truly loved the game and was never going to cheat the game. Did you ever end up in any kind of a competitive situation with him where you were playing cards or checkers no, or anything? No, no. no I, I, I think um, I never did, probably, probably because I didn't have the guts to begin with. Because, you know, I, 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 as I just described, I was, um, it was hard not to, to morph into, you know, a fan, as you know, I, I freely admit that when he, Extended his hand to me and said, "Good to see you, my friend." I was, I was, I was pretty giddy. So if I, I would try to play cards with him, I'd let him win, even though he'd probably beat me anyway. You know, being with one team for a long time, like you have, being with the Washington Wizards, you see a lot of fun stories, but there's also some bad stories. How did you handle covering the team after the Gilbert Arenas incident with the guns in the locker room? Well, I think. You know, with with um, you know, it, being so close to the team, you're close also with the people as well. And so, I think from the outside, it's it's easy for people uh, to make judgments about people. So and so's a bad guy, or so and so's this, or or, or it's easy for for uh, you know people to make jokes about other people's uh, um, misfortunes or, or, or mistakes. Uh, whereas when you're on the inside and, and you're close to these people, and, and, and I think you know, if you can uh, maybe relate to this on a level, if, if all of a sudden your neighbor who you have known and are friends with makes a mistake, uh, they don't suddenly become a bad person. Um, and, and so while somebody on the outside might be saying, well, that, you know, boy, that guy that, that lives over there must be a jerk. Well, you know, that's not true. Um so uh, I think it was it was uh, <laughs> it was just something we had to get through. Uh, you know, it was something that happened during the course of the season. It was, uh, you know, to be honest, I mean, sometimes I look back and I, I I don't remember how we got through. We just did. You just there were games to play and there was things to address, um, but you never trivialized it. You never made, uh, but also never over dramatized it either. Uh, you know, in the end, you know, Gilbert is a, is a, is a good person, and I, I know the the real Gilbert, and and he he made a mistake in terms of judgment, uh, not you know, really. Uh, I made a mistake in terms of judgment, and he paid for that mistake. So, um, you know, that's that's really all there is to it. I mean, there's not, um, you know, Gilbert literally gave people a shirt off his back, and and. Uh, continues to do so much, you know, for, for underprivileged people that, that, you know, he doesn't publicize and people aren't aware of. So he, he's a good person who, who made a mistake. And so you, you know, I guess it's a way of saying that, that, uh, from the outside, uh, when things are going bad, whether it's for Gilbert or whoever, uh, it's sometimes easy if you're in LA and you, or if I'm in DC and I'm talking about somebody in LA and all I know is, well, you know, so-and-so did this, and so I make a, a snap judgment on it, but that's not really the complete um, picture of the person. So I, I think, you know, when you're actually inside a team and around a team for for as much uh, as I am, in, in my case, the Wizards, um, you, you get to know the people beyond just the stats. It sounds like you really make strong connections with the players on the team. 
how do you balance, you know, being friends and being, being, you know, friendly on the road and knowing each other and building a positive relationship with covering things accurately and having to occasionally be critical? Well, I think um, the key there, and I've always thought this is the, the way to live your life in so many ways, but certainly in broadcasting as well. I never say anything I wouldn't say to somebody in person. Uh, so I don't hide behind a pen or a, a microphone or whatever. And and my partner going concerts the same way. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if there's ever any criticism it's never personal and it's and it's also never done in a way whether it's you know talking about you know we'll bring up ah, you know john could have managed that possession better is not having a good game management there but i'm not personal he's just talking about you know one of the reasons why the wizards are losing right now you know he's he's not making the best decisions but you know he's also the guy that makes more often than not the best decisions and, and that's why they're a winning team so i mean i think that's the key is is it's uh um there's critical and there's personal. Uh, and, and so, you know, critical is, uh, and maybe critical is not even the right word. It's, it's more, you know, we're providing analysis of what's going on and why. And it's not meant to um, uh, indict somebody of, of some kind of crime. If, if there's a winner and a loser, chances are the winner's playing better and the loser's not as playing as well. And so then you have to explain why that's happening. Before we wrap up, there's a couple questions that I ask just about everybody. I want you to just dip back into your long career and come up with a broadcast horror story or war story where something went horribly wrong or something really strange happened that was maybe mortifying at the time, but you can look back and laugh at now. I mean, over the course of my career, because I've done everything from, you know, to get to doing big league sports, I did high school sports and uh, you know, a variety of things. And, and, and I remember doing a NCAA lacrosse game in Boston, <clears throat> excuse me, where I had to, to break into, um, because my phone line wasn't installed. And at the time we were doing broadcast over the phone lines and, and Navy was playing Harvard and, and I had to just be resourceful and break into a phone box and tap into somebody's phone. So suddenly I had skills that I didn't even think I had but I just had to find a way to get the broadcast on the air. Um, so, you know, in, in the early days, certainly as I was both engineer and chief cook and bottle washer, I, get, I, I would be put in um, interesting situations, you know, like that where, um, um, I, you know, to this day, I still don't know whose phone line I was able to use long distance for three hours from Boston to Annapolis for a Navy lacrosse game. And they probably still didn't understand why that it was a three hour call they were charged for or whatever. But, um, so there's times you have to be, you know, resourceful in this business. And, uh, you know, I remember one of the, um, uh, you know, as I was, I was uh, trying to get my start in 1988, I was, I was, there was a league called the American professional soccer league. And, um, and I, uh, convinced the owner, I said, you know, if, if I can get us on the air for, we were in the playoffs, we were playing the Fort Lauderdale strikers. I said, if I can get us on the air, you know, will you cover my expenses to, to Florida to broadcast the game? And I, I was trying to, you know, get a soccer broadcast and they're going too. And so I, was, so I went to this religious station in, in Baltimore and, and uh, uh, you know, said, and they said, well, well, we'll charge you $250. So I paid, you know, $250 out of my own pocket, which in 1988 for me was a lot of money. But I wanted to really do this and get this on the air and, uh, and, and, I, and they said, well, right, $250 is for two hours of their time. Uh, I said, no worries. Don't worry. Soccer is 90 minutes. There's no timeouts. It's two hours. Uh, we're going to the broad, we're going to the game that night in, in Fort Lauderdale and it was summer. It was August. And, and as we're driving up to the stadium, there's charcoal black skies. And it wasn't looking good. Well, sure enough, it started lightning and et cetera. And it's just me. And it's a religious station, and we couldn't play commercials. Um, so now it's just me, and they've called, postponed the game, uh, uh, delayed the game until the lightning gets out. So now it's just me by myself, and no commercials, and I got to go. Just keep talking. So I was grabbing people. I didn't have a producer or that type of thing. So 
I was just grabbing people as they walked by the press box, uh, and it was like, what's my line? Enter and sign in, please. And, um, and just hoping that they, they, I wasn't grabbing the caterers you went by. So, uh, you know, that was certainly an interesting night. It, it was an hour delay before we started the game. And, and uh, uh, by the end of the night, I don't think I wanted to hear myself talk ever again because I certainly heard more than enough of me. Did the game go over the two hours? Did you have to pay extra? No, well, it was a religious station, so maybe they, they took pity on me. So I, the game, oh, no, the game went three hours, yeah, because I, it was an hour delay, and then the game finally kicked off at 9 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. Um, and, and we ended <laughs> and the team I was broadcasting for, the Baltimore Bays, lost 5 nothing. Uh, so it was, not, it was not a good night on a number of levels. But, no, they didn't charge me extra, which was very kind. Take us through your prep process for a basketball game. When do you start and how much are you doing and what are you doing to make sure that you're at a place where you feel good about going on the air? Well, you know, what's, what's changed now, you never feel good because, um, as, as you were having this discussion, uh, our next game is Friday in Atlanta. I've already started preparing. And and uh, I was editing sound and going through old cuts that that, that I'm going to put in the pregame to help describe the story because there's a the story of what's going on with this team is what I'm well what I'm saying so uh, but but why you never feel totally prepared is because it used to be broadcasters and writers to some extent were behind the curtain or. In other words, we had access to information that the average fan didn't. We had game notes and you know, other things that, that maybe the public relations staff gave us, but that wasn't available to the public. Now you've got a million sites. You, you can read the same game notes. Uh, every fan can read the same, you know, teams put them on their websites and, and they can. So all that information um, that used to be kind of just, well, we get the media guides and we get the facts of, you know, back when we use fax machine. You know, we, we were, we had, uh, kind of, a, a more knowledge than the, the next guy. Now the fans got, you know, you never stop preparing because you're talking to an audience that, that's, you know, got a fantasy app or God knows what, and, and, you know, probably knows more about, uh, you know, why Gerald Green was out of last night's game for Boston than I do, because he's been keeping up with it for whatever reason. So, um, it really is like peeling an onion. Now you, you never, you're, you're never totally quite done. Now, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to you know, spend the next two days uh, doing nothing but prepare for the next game. But uh, you know, I'll find this article or that article, or somebody will you know say, "Hey, did you see a link about uh, you know the, the, the Hawks coach?" Or, uh, and, and so it's it's like peeling an onion now because it's just the, the internet's endless and. Uh, you're always finding something and somebody's got some stat analysis. So uh, uh, now, I mean, obviously, you know, only 5% of what you prepare for actually make another broadcast, but you, you feel like you, you should keep reading and keep up on it because, you know, you're supposed to be the expert. <laughs> so you try your best to be the expert. And if you're not, you know, you just make sure you connect with the people on Twitter. <laughs> Who are some of your favorite broadcasters to listen to? Uh, you know, the, the uh, I, I mean, I grew up listening to Jim Carvellis uh, do both basketball and soccer. So he was definitely, uh, uh, and, and that's been a primary part of my career. So that, that was definitely uh, uh, somebody that I was, I was you know, particularly fond of and, and, and enamored with. Um you know, it's it's kind of curious. I don't get to hear a lot of basketball broadcasters because I'm so busy. But you know, the, the, the and you know, you don't want to start naming because I, I'm hesitant to start naming because I'm going to forget somebody that that um, you know uh, that I really really like. But uh, you know, right away when you, when you think NBA radio, I think of an Albuquerque in Phoenix who's been doing it so long, and it's just such a wonderful ambassador for the game. And, you know, I just saw my friend Chuck Swirsky of the Bulls the other night and who does a, does a, a terrific job. But I, I think with, but I, you know, I have such respect for anyone that's, that's, um, uh, you know, in, in my profession and in our profession, 
the, the, the Iomi level because, um, um, you know, you hear great, uh, you know, I might not even know their name, but I'll be cruising on satellite and somebody going to a college basketball game and, uh, you know, they just do a terrific job. So it's, uh, there's just, you know, a lot of great broadcasters out there with a lot of uh, passion. Kevin Harlan, I love, you know, his work on, on the various sports he does. Uh, um, but it's, uh, I always appreciate people to try to bring whatever you know, style they have uh, to it, but they, they keep in mind that the game is the same. And that's, that's um, um, you know, I like to, to have some fun with listeners and hopefully entertain people, but it's still the game is the thing, and, and I want that to come out the most. Well, that is about all I have for you today. Once again, we're talking with Dave Johnson. He is the voice of the Washington Wizards and the D.C. United. And Dave, I just want to thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. No, I appreciate it, and I appreciate your connection, and I look forward to now catching more of your podcast. So if anybody wanted to get in touch with you or be part of your radio party, how would they do that? It's real simple. You connect on Twitter at Dave J Sports. Use that hashtag Radio Party. We're lucky even more because somebody tells me that's good for business. But but use the uh, pardon me at Dave J Sports uh, is how you find me on, on on Twitter. And and uh, people can always send me an email at djohnson at monumentalsports dot com. I I answer every as you can attest to. I answer every email and and uh, if somebody reaches out on Twitter, I I answer every tweet. So I'm not. I'm, there's not some. Uh, I don't have a paid assistant doing this. This is me, and, and I appreciate uh, your interest. In, and, uh, and and so yeah, I, I welcome anybody who's uh, interested in what's going on with the Wizards and Wizards Radio. Thanks for joining us here on the Say the Damn Score podcast. You can make sure to subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at radio underscore Logan. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash say the damn score. And we're also now on Google Play Music. So a lot of ways to follow Say the Damn Score. We thank everybody who already does. And the next time you're on the air, remember to say the damn score just a little bit more.